launching a campaign to help African albinos, Jorge Bergoglio, a.k.a. Pope Francis, is eating up bandwidth online. Besides his tweets and posts of 48,000-word exhortations on the Vatican website, Francis is followed by Google. Google? Yes, Google, the world's favorite color of personal data, does provide the occasional help when attempting a search. It even makes suggestions for what you think you're looking for. What I'd like to tell you are the top three Google search suggestions when searching for Pope Francis. Number three, when you search for Pope Francis, it brings up Pope Francis F-bomb. Number two, Pope Francis false prophet. And the number one search suggestion that pops up when you search for Pope Francis, Pope Francis Antichrist. I only wish I were making this up. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Joshua Guncher, and this evening I have the great privilege of sharing the company with our usual guests, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor at St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good evening. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovasortoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, NovasortoWatch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. It's NovusOrdoWatch.org to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. NovusOrdoWatch.org. Restoration Radio programs, including this one, are available on RestorationRadioNetwork.com and are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration on various social media channels like Facebook and Twitter. Find us by using the social buttons on truerestoration.org. On that site, you'll find a link to TradCircle, which is a social network founded in 2008 by Father Anthony Chicada and currently moderated by True Restoration staff. One of its original purposes was to enable young people who feel called to marriage to meet like-minded types, but it also happens to be a great and a safe place to make new friends and have discussions. So people of all ages are, of course, welcome. On this episode, we ask the question, Quo Vadis Don Ciccio? We're going to be speaking about the direction of the Bergoglio Revolution. I want to just launch right into it because we have a tremendous amount to cover this evening. Back in, 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 in April, National Catholic Reporter talked about a, 
uh, you know, had an article that dealt with Francis as a complete break from his predecessors. Now, this doesn't come as any surprise for any of us, really, but uh, this is this is the way it's being reported. Uh, really does lend itself to certain stink. Father, why don't you you, you start in with us on on, on this particular particular topic? I mean, uh, it's not a surprise, but uh, I mean, perhaps it, it 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 always comes out as as being a little bit little bit more of a surprise every time we hear about it. Well, um, what's very interesting is that, it, in fact, it's so open. Uh, there's a, a gathering of uh, academics at uh, Georgetown University who came together to discuss what Francis had uh, been up to and to make an assessment so far of what he's been doing since his, his uh, election. And uh, you had um, prominent people from different parts parts of the country. Uh, one of them, uh, Father Mannion, talking about Evangelii Gaudium as being ecclesiological uh, dynamite. And he, in the course of his comments, he said that it's hard to conclude that there is uh, anything but there's, that there's very little substantive continuity uh, with the ecclesial agenda of Pope Francis's predecessors. He says the uh, um, shift is, is something new and is uh, substantial. So he sees not only a discontinuity between what Francis said and pre-Vatican II teaching, but even with the uh, teaching of John Paul II and uh, of Ratzinger. So this is something that's, that's uh, very significant, and the uh, people involved talk about the uh, new ecclesiological emphases. That's to say the um, uh, new ideas regarding the nature of the church. Bergoglio uses the term that Bishop Sanborn and I heard an awful lot after Vatican II, the idea now of the church as people of God and of the church being on a journey, so on. So uh, the academics uh, think that uh, Francis is, is uh, just great because he is, is moving forward in this new direction. Your Excellency? Yes, what is different uh, is that although uh, Vatican II talked about the people of God and, and also uh, uh, brought about a whole new ecclesiology, uh, something that managed to survive Vatican II was the papacy. Uh, everything else got changed, including the rosary. But uh, the, Paul VI, John Paul II, and Ratzinger uh, all operated basically a monolithic and monarchical papacy. Uh, whereas, uh, I mean, you know, they attempted to. I mean, everybody knows what we think about them. But they, in other words, from the from the uh, just uh, you know, an attempted papacy. Uh, the the uh, but this one is moving toward a papacy that is very much like what was described by Febronius in the late 18th century, and that is one in which bishops really run the church, uh, and the the pope becomes a an inspector, someone who intervenes when there's a problem. Uh, who sits in Rome uh, and, you know, essentially looks over the whole church that is being run by bishops. Uh, that is the revolution that he is bringing about, and you can see that it, it's uh, going to happen probably 
with this synod that's coming. But he's making plenty of comments to that to that effect. And uh, this uh, fulfills what Ratzinger said uh, back in the early 1990s. Uh, well, Paul VI said the papacy is the biggest obstacle to ecumenism. And Ratzinger said that we don't know what the papacy will be like in the future. We have no idea. So uh, the, uh, that, that's the, the revolution that he is uh, presently putting through. And he was very clear about that from the beginning. Um, you pick that up in his uh, uh, interviews. He talks about a word that most people haven't heard of, synodality, from the word synod, which is a, uh, ecclesiastical uh, gathering to decide certain issues. And he spoke very favorably about how the uh, schismatic uh, Greeks uh, approached this issue of synodality. And now, of course, what we're hearing about is the Synod on the Family, which is um, in October, and uh, this will be the uh, first exercise, a practical exercise of this, this principle under Bergoglio. So that looks like the way in which things are starting to go, and they're starting to go there very quickly. He made a comment, by the way, to uh, the Brazilian bishop who was complaining about how few priests he had. He had 300 deacons, but, you know, relatively few priests. I mean, and said some people only have the Mass twice and three times a year. And he and Bergoglio said, well, you know, the bishops will have to decide what to do. This is, this is beyond, the, the, beyond me. Uh, you know, I can't uh, do everything. I cannot intervene in every single case. The bishops will have to decide what to do. Uh, and the obvious question was, well, what about, you know, uh, married priests? And uh, uh, Bergoglio gave an answer which did not exclude it, you know, but again put it back into the hands of the bishops. So uh, you, you can see that that's definitely uh, on his agenda. Well, let, let's, uh, let's move ahead to uh, just a, there was a brief story in the Atlantic, uh, which I, I think it's, it's that type of, that type of uh, kind of linguistic machination that that he's so famous for. I mean, really, all of the the the, the, the post-Vatican II popes are. They're, they're, it's sort of a it's, it's jargon laden. It's difficult to understand. Um, but everybody who's on the inner circle knows exactly what he means. Um, Father, you, you this this article from the from the Atlantic. Give us an idea of how uh, of how this sort of uh, linguistic power brokering works. Okay, well, uh, this was a, a very interesting article in the Atlantic, um, and the uh, author apparently had connections to different pe- people in the Vatican. He was basically talking about Ratzinger's retirement and what Ratzinger would do in retirement, and contrasting him and Bergoglio. Uh, one of the people that. Um, the author interviewed about uh, Bergoglio and uh, his program was the German who is the um, director of German language Vatican Radio, who is also a, a, a Jesuit. And the author uh, posed questions about the uh, the differences in, in, in style and how Bergoglio communicates. And uh, he was told by this Jesuit this, that, Francis knows exactly how power is spelled. He is a communicator in the league with Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama. 
They say he's being unclear, but we know exactly what he means. So uh, uh, this is the the uh, way that Bergoglio communicates, and it's it's something that uh, again, uh, you know, we dinosaurs from the 1960s uh, remember exactly how the uh, modernists in the hierarchy would work. They would they would hint at different things, and that's how they would communicate what uh, they wanted, the practical course of action they wanted. So we have this, this Jesuit saying that this is just the case, this is how Bergoglio uses his power. Also, I reject, the the idea, I reject the idea that he is unclear. He is as clear as crystal, calling up a woman in Argentina and telling her that she can go to communion right. even though she's lived 20 years in adultery. I mean, how more clear can you get? I think yeah. that's why they dislike you so much, Your Excellency. You, you know their language, and you can follow. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's it's not just a, a German Jesuit who happens to be living in Rome. It's you know, it's a bishop from Florida and a from Ohio. You you, you understand? It's the you know, you've broken the code. You've broken the Germans' code, so to speak. Uh, I don't think there's any code to break. Keith is he's <laughs> as clear as could be. <laughs> All of his insults against people who have the Catholic faith, I mean, he is so clear about those things. Uh, where is he unclear? I mean, I think that's one thing we can say in his favor, that at least he, he says his mind and we understand it. Ratzinger was the, the master of of lack of clarity. I mean, he, he was just, you know, talked around everything. He just mastered that perfectly when he was an, a young modernist. And JP too. I mean, to read his encyclicals is like reading gibberish. Nobody understands them, and nobody read them either. They were so long and full of, you know, verbiage and and windage. I mean, you know, it was. Uh, but at least he says his mind. I mean, even if it's in forty-eight thousand words, at least he says his mind. We can understand it. I don't. I don't see why anybody's saying. I mean, who am I to judge? He says when it concerns, you know, uh, sodomy. Uh, who am I to judge? And and when it concerns adultery, he calls people up. Why is that unclear? I, I don't see how that's unclear. Well, I think that that um, the mentality of uh, conservatives is that um, uh, to say that well, his 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 uh, uh, statements could uh be interpreted somehow in a uh, uh more catholic sense that you know we can't judge him but of course uh we all know having seen this sort of thing before exactly how it's supposed how it's supposed to operate <laughs> like there is no catholic god you know yeah, let's, right. let's you know yeah. <laughs> Let's try to put a hermeneutic on that. Or, you know, you can go to Holy Communion even though you're you're living in adultery. How do you put a Catholic uh, veil upon that? You know, it's, uh, Who would no, try? It's, uh, uh, so I, I know I, one, I, uh, one Novus Ordo priest said to me recently, I'm really happy that I'm a reactionary and not a neoconservative moron. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's well, pretty, I'll, I'll, that's pretty clear. clear. <laughs> well, it, it, it seems though uh, that that Francis is, uh, you know, it's it's now that he's uh, he's playing the prophet, uh, he's also uh, seeming to claim that uh, he's not, 
Well, he's basically using scripture against everyone and telling us uh, the way St. Luke does in, the, in his fourth chapter that uh, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And here we have him in, uh, uh, in, in, in a, <laughs> in, in a uh, expose uh, effectively pointing out, having it pointed out that, um, uh, that, that despite the, what seems like confused speaking, what seems like um, uh, kind of blurry machinations, is, is, is nothing more than him trying to, to uh, advance the agenda. And um, of, of course people are going, to, uh, are going to call foul because look what happened to all the prophets. Father... Yeah, the um, he uh, made a uh, public statement uh, talking about how uh, great thinkers in the church were uh, persecuted, and he says, I, th- "I think of one at this moment, not so far from us, a man of goodwill, a prophet indeed, who in his writings reproached the church for having lost the way of the Lord. He was summoned in short order; his books were placed on the index. Uh, now, though." He's been rehabilitated. He, who yesterday was a heretic, is uh, a blessing of the church. So he's um, he's talking about uh, uh, Rosmini, and uh, maybe Bishop Sanborn could tell us a little bit about Rosmini. Well, first of all, he is in error. Rosmini's there were forty propositions that were condemned, but they were not condemned as heresy. No one ever called Rosmini a heretic, to to my knowledge. They, these were condemned propositions by the Holy Office, uh, condemned by the Holy Office, approved by Pope Leo the Thirteenth. But that means they stand condemned, and that is part of the infallibility of the Catholic Church: is that it has the right to and it has the authority to condemn what is a danger to the faith, and it does so infallibly. Uh, so. The, uh, the these condemnations stand and cannot uh, be be said to be false. Uh, that's that's the so he he's off on his on his uh, his facts. Also, Rosmini died before the condemnation, and the Vatican took forty passages from his works and condemned them. But he died before that. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you know, the, uh, but in any case, what Bergoglio is saying is actually worse than the Rosmini case. Uh, first of all, Rosmini was condemned for being an ontologist. That means, he, Rosmini said that our idea of being in us, like when we say the, the rose is red, when we say is, that is, that word is means existence, and God is existence, so we are connected to God by our idea of existence. That our idea of existence is God in us. That was Rasmini. Very, very typical of modernism. See, that means everybody has God in him. Uh, that's one of the doctrines of modernism, that apart from the grace of God, everyone possesses God. And everyone has a a uh, um, an experience of God, and then we make dogmas based on these experiences that we have of God. That's pure modernism. So Rosmini's uh, ideas were, um, uh, were were very contributive to modernism. Uh, and uh, but what Francis says, I mean, he's using this example. What Francis says is it, 
absolutely rips apart the infallibility of the church to say that that the church can condemn as heresy today something that it will extol as orthodoxy tomorrow means that it has no ability to teach with the authority and the infallibility of God. It, it destroys the Catholic Church. Why have the Catholic Church if it can lead you into error? Why have the Catholic Church if today it, it can condemn what tomorrow it will praise, and vice versa? And that's exactly what has happened with Vatican II. What uh, Archbishop Lefebvre used to say, that what, what the Church once condemned, it now, it now extols, what the, what the Church once extols, it now condemns, referring to the new religion. And, and this just makes mincemeat of it. The, the consistency of the faith is a sign of its divine origin. And the consistency of the Catholic Church in teaching it is a sign of the assistance of the Holy Ghost to the Catholic Church. If the Catholic Church does not have that assistance, it is zero. It is nothing. So Bergoglio is effectively stripping the Catholic Church of its essence by saying these things. And, and, and it's cries not true not either. It's not true that, that, the, that heretics have been rehabilitated. That has never been true. Let him give one example of someone condemned as a heretic who got rehabilitated later. And you know, watch what they'll do. They'll rehabilitate Luther in two or three years. In in 2017, Saint Martin Luther will be on our altars. You just watch, because well, that principle is there. Who was a heretic in the past is now okay. He's actually a blessed. You know, we venerate him. Well, the, what other heretics are going to be resurrected? Henry the Eighth. He was a great man. Uh, the the uh, various others uh, you know, full of heretics. The only heretics that will not be resurrected are the Pelagians, because you know we we fall into the category of the Pelagians, <laughs> so they will remain <coughs> condemned. <laughs> but yeah, it, you it's, see uh, that it's also the uh, schismatics too. It, it uh, undermines uh, the whole system. He uh, Bergoglio's. Uh, Ideas, many of the ideas he's he's expressed so far, just go beyond denying, uh, you know, this or that doctrinal proposition. I mean, if you accept something like this, absolutely everything is up for grabs because you can't say anything about the nature of 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 a dogma of religious truth or anything like that, because it could be flipped on its head tomorrow, and that um, those who and those who denied it uh, one day would be uh, heroes the next. So it's an, it's an invitation to a doctrinal chaos. And he almost, you, you uh, heard his famous statement about uh, inviting young people really to make a mess of things. And uh, I think that that's very much a part of his, his, his program, is that he's a sower of confusion. Uh, and um, uh, contradictory uh, propositions and contradictory actions. So it it, it undercuts everything that uh, the church is supposed to uh, teach and believe and uh, how the church is supposed to act in the moral order. Uh, Undercutting, Father, I mean, this is... (laughs) 
at least some of his predecessors had the, the steady hand to use a scalpel when they were making their own arguments. I mean, he's, it's like watching a child eat, it's like a child eating with his hands. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing delicate about it. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's the Vatican Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, he's uh, <laughs> going, he's sounds like a great going movie. at it with a title. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so destructive. Uh, it's so destructive because uh, uh, everything is up for grabs. And Professor DiMattei uh, pointed this out um, uh, about a year ago. He said that everything, uh, under Bergoglio, everything ends up being liquefied and melting away. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a, like a flesh-eating virus. It's, it's a mind-eating virus. And, and huh? I, I don't well, think there's some great movie, movie material that you're coming up with in between the uh, you know, the Vatican flesh-eating virus. That would that would be a big hit. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if if that's the case, let, let's let's push on a little bit to uh, to Bergoglio, and this is this is coming by way of uh, everybody's favorite ghost, uh, Cardinal Walter Casper. Um, Bergoglio wants to uh, basically put all the bleachers on the floor. He wants everybody to stand watching the game at exactly the same level, and um, which, of course, you know, if you've ever stood behind someone who's tall and you're trying to see the game, it, it, it does make, make it a little bit difficult. But never mind the, you know, never mind reality getting in the way. Casper um, you know, was in- interviewed uh, in Commonweal Magazine um, back in in May, and. Um, uh, look again. You're 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 correct. He's this isn't misunderstanding. I mean, this is this is writing on the wall, and I think it's it's written in very big letters so that all of the children can see. It's spray painted. Let's, let's, it's finger painted. No, it's spray painted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the uh, commentators initially. Uh, whom I quote was a uh, modernist named Father Richard Rohr, uh, after the first uh, horrible Bergoglio interview came out, his Father Rohr absolutely loved it. He thought it was great. And he said that no one um, can ever deny that a pope said these things and that he has changed the discourse forever uh, and and uh, uh, changed the whole lay of the land by saying certain things. Uh, with this this uh, synod process that Casper uh, is uh, talking about and is promoting on on behalf of of uh, Bergoglio, that once you let this uh, uh, genie out of the the bottle, uh, there's no telling where it'll go, because how can you how can you take back something like that, uh, e- even if Bergoglio is 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 let's say in this job for only four or five years, and he's laid all these principles out. How could uh, anyone who comes along as a successor uh, say that, well, now we're going to backpedal? It's very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. It's like letting wild horses out of a barn. Try to get them back now. Yeah. Well, the, the, barn is, the, barn is, is, the barn door is, is flapping in the wind at this point. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we don't know where they'll be, but we know where they're not going to be, and that's back in the barn. Um, Casper said uh, another interesting thing. Um, He said that Bergoglio thinks in terms of process, in other words, in terms of long-term goals, and that Bergoglio wants to initiate a process that continues beyond him. 
Casper said he'll have the opportunity to, to appoint maybe 40% of the Cardinals, and they're the ones who will elect a successor. So that way he's able to uh, condition uh, you know, a future conclave. But I think that uh, this synodality will help our cause, mm-hmm. because it will erase in people's minds the, the monolithic papacy, which of course is not a papacy, but which appears to be so, and mm-hmm. which is an obstacle for a lot of people to what we're doing. The, he still, the, these modernist popes, quote-unquote, are still operating under the image of Pius XII and, and are, are commanding all of the authority of Pius XII and the prestige of, of, you know, of, of such a person I think that if he uh, sort of denatures himself and reduces himself and that synods become the way in which, or Episcopal synods become the way in which uh, the church is governed, uh, I think that it will uh, will help us. You know, I think that uh, people will, will not have that reticence with regard to what we are doing and saying. Yes, that, that uh, the... Uh, reality of what they see before their eyes uh, will contradict uh, you know, what they have read about the nature of the church and the nature of the papacy. Yeah. And uh, they will be able, I think, very uh, easy, much more easily to um, see the difference between what is, is right and wrong and what is Catholic and what is not. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to appoint 40% of the cardinals. I don't see how you, I mean, you're in a, it's a win-win situation for, for someone with that type of appointment power. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this is stacking the deck, I mean, very clearly. And um, I, don't, I don't see how you couldn't end up with that change in the end. They'll be able to do it. They've already made, made it clear that they want to. Um, I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and it's, if, it's, if it means uh, not the, the next conclave and the one after that, so be it. I mean, that's the... The powers of darkness are, are definitely patient, um, well, Father Randolph used to say, I'm all for it. He always used to <laughs> say that. He always used to say that when somebody brought up, William, uh, 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 brought up uh, women priests. Uh, he would, he would, you know, someone would say to him, oh, Father, you know, they're talking about women priests. He said, I'm all for it. I'm all for ordaining women, women priests. And they would be shocked. Oh, Father, how could you right. say that? And he would say, the sooner those people show that they are false, the better. And so mm-hmm. I'm all for synodality. <laughs> the more What's the better. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pull the pin. Um, yep. <laughs> well, I mean, this, I mean, this is this is something that um, that that's. I mean, listen, they've got their front man now. They've got their their agenda. They have their 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 mandate. I put that in quotes. Uh, they'll have the, the 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 power in terms of appointment for uh, for a conclave, at least you know uh, at some point uh, in, in the not too distant future. And now it's now really. I mean, it's it's really just a matter of waiting for them to pull the pin. Um, mm-hmm. No, I think you're this this is writing writing on the wall. Um, Father, there was an article in um, the website religionnews.com. Um, again, another um, Cardinal Casper, um, Cardinal Casper in the limelight, um, strutting his stuff as a, 
as, as everybody's favorite, uh, Bergoglio Schill. Um, give, give us an idea of, 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 of how uh, Cardinal Casper, what, what is his take on, on, on this, you know, the, the 9,723rd renewal of Catholicism in the last 50 years? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great quote from uh, Casper from this, this uh, interview. He said, this pope is not a liberal pope. He is a radical pope. Um, this pope goes back to the gospel, he says. And um, so his, his um, idea is that, uh, obviously, is that Francis is pushing for a radical change, a, a revolutionary change, and that he will... Uh, that he will get it. Uh, also, I remember the incident that uh, Francis, uh, shortly after his election, praised this book by uh, Cardinal Casper. Um, and the story was told that an older cardinal uh, came to Francis and said, well, uh, you shouldn't recommend this book because there are many heresies in it. And um, when Casper was told the story by Francis. Francis said that, well, uh, stuff like this goes in one ear and out the other. So um, yeah, you can I, see that Casper, who is perhaps one of the perhaps the most radical uh, member of the hierarchy, certainly the uh, the cardinals, mm-hmm. uh, is one with with Bergoglio. And I mean, he praised him lavishly at that consistory and. You know, when his, his whole speech and said it was like uh, theology on your knees and all of this nonsense. Uh, I mean, it was almost embarrassing the lavish praise that he put upon Casper. So, I think Casper is entirely credible when he says these things, and I think he's very well informed. He knows exactly what Bergoglio is and what Bergoglio wants to do. So, I, I think we have a, a really inside story there. The actually, uh, I think. I think if the, uh, it, it just strikes me as odd because here you have Casper saying that the Pope goes back to the Gospel, and of course, uh, and I, I'm, I'm singling you out here for, for your geographical knowledge, Casper says the Pope goes back to the Gospel, and of course, Cardinal Casper is up at a church in Manhattan's Upper West Side. Um, <laughs> just, uh, I think that's the peripheries they talk about. Uh, he was handing out cocktail sandwiches or something. So. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. That's uh, he, he was, uh, you know, getting close to the sheep <laughs> and smelling like the sheep. You know, that, that's where that's, yeah, that's what he was doing. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, uh, by the way, you know, getting back to the gospel, there was another famous person in history that uh, went back to the gospel and founded his own gospel church, the Evangelisch Church, that is the the evangelical church, and that was Martin Luther who said that, you know, the church had defected for all of these years, and and finally uh, he got himself anointed somehow to bring it back to the gospel. So that that means the gospel church. That's the official name for the Lutheran church, the evangelical church. That's what they call it in, in Germany. Yes. Uh, so, evangelisch. Uh, you know? So this is an old story of, you know, going back to the gospel. Uh, and it implies that the church has defected from the gospel. Uh, which, of course, is heresy. We'll have to send him a copy of uh, St. Francis de Sales of Controversy. I think this is, <laughs> this yeah. is right there in one of the first few chapters. Um, let, let's, let's switch directions here just for, for, for a little while. Um, 
we this this has been coming up uh, not just and, and by coming up I, I mean to indicate both a, a digestive discomfort at the same time I mean to indicate the subject matter the the issues of the divorced and remarried uh, can the remarried partake of the sacraments um, this is I mean this is by far not even close to the loony looniest uh, uh, information we've seen come down the press wires since since our last program, um, some of which we'll we'll touch on later. But I mean, here again, uh, you know, in Casper we trust. Um, we, 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 you know, we we we've got this hot button issue, and you know, in comes Cardinal Casper to um, to tell you that the chaos is in chaos. Uh, that you know, it's it, it's it's all for the for the greater good, and uh, everything is going to be fine. Now, I, I I see Bishop Sanborn with the grenade pin still in his teeth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking when you said Looney, was Casper the friendly ghost on Looney Tunes? I mean, no, I think that was no? another. Uh, okay, uh, maybe yeah, okay, a different <laughs> brand, huh? I thought maybe we could make a, a hermeneutic there. And uh, <laughs> to sell the mugs, I think. Uh, no, when you said that, you know, Looney. Uh, so certainly, he's he's got the the Looney corner to himself. Um, and well, you know, this is getting really basic uh, and and earthy. We might say uh, the Catholic Church has always defended the indissolubility of marriage, and as I have said in many sermons, is the only religion on earth that defends the indissolubility of marriage. The schismatics permit three marriages. The, of course, the Protestants, you know, Henry VIII, uh, we don't need to even speak about him. Uh, and uh, Luther permitting uh, the, uh, the, the elector of uh, Philip of Hesse to uh, have two wives. Uh, I mean, this is like the first thing to go in heresy. And the Catholic Church has resisted this temptation time and time again to permit false marriages and to to let go of this discipline. Now he comes along, and it is just by in his pastoral way, that is not changing any of the catechisms, but in, in, under the banner of pastoral practice, he is permitting adultery. I mean, this is. This is basic. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he's saying, commit adultery. And then go to Holy Communion. And he's so motivated by this that he calls up somebody in Argentina and tells this woman to do this. You know, so it, it is, it is uh, you know, if you can't see it, this is not subtle. <laughs> People committing adultery is not subtle. And going to communion, and then when we read what what the crazy Casper has to the way he justifies it, I mean it is so funny, and it's so full of fallacy <laughs> and false reasoning and and bad logic. Everything is phony and false about it. That I mean, it is quite it's amusing just to read it. So it's it's should, almost like a parody uh, of of um, uh, modernist the, the modernist mindset and the principles that they use. Uh, because it's it's uh, it's so far out. So yes, far out. If, if you were trying to be funny, you would write what Casper wrote. <laughs> you know. Well, I think that's the difference here. I mean, parody at least makes me laugh. This doesn't. 
Oh, well, this no. made me laugh. When I read it, it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, does, it does have the, 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 the sense, I mean, he, he says that, uh, I, I, I do not know if my proposals will be acceptable, and he said, he said that with a shrug. I made them in agreement with the Pope. I did not do them just myself. I spoke beforehand with the Pope, and he agreed. Um, you know, my, my dad told me it was okay. I think this will this will be okay. We, I didn't I didn't make it on my own, but uh, you know he helped me. Yeah, and this is this, uh, statements like that are quite significant. Obviously, he did. And um, remember again this idea of Bergoglio wanting to make a mess, and uh, that that is one of the ways that he's he's promoting the uh, revolution. So he he sends out Casper to make all of these. Um, uh, all of these outrageous statements. In reading um, the interview that Casper uh, gave to Commonweal Magazine, which is a Jesuit magazine, uh, it was very interesting because the Jesuit who was conducting it asked him some hard questions uh, about this business of the second marriage. Well, you know, how can you uh, justify doing this? Um, giving communion to someone who's in a second marriage and giving them absolution because they're going um, back into what uh, was called uh, an occasion of mortal sin. And uh, the implication being, you know, to commit uh, adultery uh, again. But Casper uh, uh, just uh, evades the question and says that, well, you know, um, uh, people just have to do what's possible in their situation. We cannot always do the ideal. We can't always do the best. And then <coughs> he uh, uh, tries to uh, trot out St. Alphonsus and uh, St. Thomas uh, to defend this position. And I can't imagine what is, was there like, uh, you know, a summa adulterina or something like that that, that Thomas wrote. But you, uh, it's it, it, it's so crazy and so uh, far off base. So he says that well, like breaking up the second family, uh, the uh, fam uh, family that, that results from the divorce and remarriage, is um, uh, uh, that uh, uh, this is this would have its, its uh, uh, evils as well. Um, so you have to be happy that it has what he calls the elements of marriage. All right. <laughs> um, which, and the reason Bishop Sanborn is laughing is, and this goes back to the modernist ecclesiology uh, of, of non-Catholic bodies having elements of church, and these things being um, good, not ideal, but... Uh, they have some of the valid sacraments uh, and believe in some parts of the gospel, etc. So they have elements of, of, of church. So Bergoglio explicitly tries to apply this to uh, uh, to marriage, to uh, uh, to the second marriage. Yeah, and marriage is something which is defined by a bond, and either there is a bond or there isn't. And, you know, to have elements of a bond that doesn't, is not possible any more than it's possible to be, you know, a little pregnant or to be uh, partially someone's mother, to have elements of motherhood. Uh, or for an airline to advertise it, they have elements of aircraft. <laughs> and that they're going to fly you around on these elements that they have. And you see a picture of a plane that has, like, one engine and no wing. 
and maybe one wheel. Uh, and that's, that's uh, I mean, this is really getting down into the absurd, and it insults the intelligence even of common people. I mean, it is really, really, really absurd. Uh, and everybody knows what he's saying, and that is, even though you're in a bad marriage, go ahead. That's what he's saying. Just go ahead and commit your adultery. Why doesn't he just come out and say it? He called, he's, he gives this example of St. Alphonsus Liguori. So we're, all, you know, we're, we're in heaven now with St. Alphonsus Liguori. He was a rigorist, but then he changed. You see, he changed. He said he worked out the system of equiprobabilism. Uh, um, and now you have to understand that that only applies, this system that he worked out, to resolving a doubtful conscience. That is, where there is, uh, you're in doubt as to what to do, whether the law applies or not. It has nothing to do with adultery, because the law is very clear. The law is, thou shalt not commit adultery. And for him to propose that as some sort of a, you know, a, a column under his, you know, his cornice, so to speak, it is absolutely absurd, and anybody with a half a brain and who knew anything about theology would say this this person is just an idiot. Uh, and then Saint, you know, say, quote Saint Thomas again. We go back to the heavenly court, and we get Saint Thomas, Doctor of the Church, the virtue of prudence, which is does not deny a common rule. So thou shalt not commit adultery, but you have to apply it. Casper says in in the place of Saint Thomas to a concrete and often complex situation. So if, you know, you're having trouble with your wife, well, you know, let the maid come in, as Luther said. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, then go ahead and, and get married again. Or I mean, it, that, that St. Thomas doesn't say that. That's not the virtue of prudence. He, he, it's, it's a complete distortion of both of these doctors of the church, and it's an insult to people's intelligence. But people will read this and think, oh, yes, we'll be like St. Thomas and St. Alphonsus. It is really bad. It's, it's just the devil at work. So, uh, But that, it's, uh, it just uh, I, uh, it makes me sick when I read it. <laughs> <laughs> So um, he has a. Um, he was pressed on the question of what ha- happens to the first marriage, which actually is a um, a good question. And Casper uh, says, "Well, it's indissoluble, okay, because of the uh, 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 promise." Then he said that uh, uh, even after it's broken up, the bond of marriage remains. Okay. But he said the fathers of the church had a wonderful image. If there's a shipwreck, you don't get a new ship to save you, but you get a plank so you can survive. And so there's that crazy analogy, which the fathers of the church were, uh, you know, which father of the church said, well, if you have a, if your first marriage um, uh, goes on the rocks, as it were, then you get a second marriage as, as uh, uh, like a plank from which to uh, survive. Uh, actually, they were talking about in confession. which to commit adultery. In which to commit adultery. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, come on. 
So <laughs> if you can't commit adultery on the big ship, you can at least do it on the on the lifeboat. The, the small on the lifeboat, yeah, <laughs> right. absolutely terrible. <laughs> Let's just take a pause for a moment, and I just wanted to let you know that for those of you just joining us, you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, brought to you by Nova Sorta Watch. I'm your host, Joshua Guntra. I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. I'm also joined by my co-host, the ghost of Justin Soder, who we will be back the next episode. I'm just filling in for him this time around. Uh, Justin is, is, is unavailable this evening. I hope uh, he'll be back soon. And so far on this episode, we've been covering the direction of the Francis Revolution and, and asking ourselves, where are these fires heading? We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. But permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to us at mail at truerestoration.org. If you're listening to our show on iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It really does help those who are looking for truly programming more easily find our work. Uh, just also, uh, because the show is, is bound to run over the two-hour live feed that we have allotted to us, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, we're, we're, the live stream will cut off at about 9 o'clock and uh, we'll finish up the show and then it will be posted to the Blog Talk radio site uh, as soon as the show is finished so you can uh, pick up from where uh, we had to leave off. Um, Father, Your Excellency, uh, no, no casuistry. No casuistry. I mean, we, we, this, is, this, is, you know, this is not... Uh, you know, we're, we're not playing games. Bergoglio is not playing games. He's, uh, he's upset, and um, he wants to know that um, the communion for the divorced, you know, this isn't, it's not about doctrine here. You know, we've, we think we've seen this over and over time and time again. Um, but the one thing that was more, perhaps even more surprising than, than hearing this issue brought up again and again and again uh, is that the New York Times, uh, in, a, in a column... Uh, in, in, towards the end of April, uh, actually had it right that the gray lady seems to make the most sense for uh, a, a truly Catholic perspective on, 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 on what, what is coming out of Rome. Um, you know, we've been talking about this phone call. We've been talking about uh, Francis's distinction between doctrine and, 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 and pastoral effect. Um, tell, walk us through this column, Father, because you know I, I'm I'm rarely, if ever, impressed by the New York Times, and maybe this is just a broken clock being right twice. You know, we're <laughs> when being right find, today. When you find religious truth in the op-ed page of the New York Times, uh, <laughs> you know the really things have, have really the Bergoglio <laughs> revolution has really picked up. Um, there's a um, somewhat conservative columnist named Ross, I think it's Do Thought, or, or Do That, something like that, and um, he's from a Catholic background. And he, like everyone else, was sort of transfixed by the uh, Bergoglio cold call to the woman in Argentina. So uh, he was uh, trying to figure this out. And since he, obviously, he had, he's an educated man, he has a background in, in Catholic doctrine, it didn't make any sense to him what he was hearing. So uh, he said this, that uh, the phone call and the coverage suggest two obvious perils for a papacy that leans too heavily on the distinction between the doctrinal and the pastoral. So we've talked about that before. Between official teaching and its applications. 
One is what you might call the late Soviet scenario, in which Catholic doctrine is officially unaltered. But the impression grows that even the Pope doesn't really believe these things. And that when the Church's leaders affirm a controversial position, they're just going through the ideological motions, like uh, uh, Brezhnev-era apparatchiks, and not actually trying to teach a living faith. So, uh, one perceptive insight. Another, uh, he says that uh, this is the dashed expectation scenario in which the assumption that a church teaching is about to change creates widespread disaffection when it doesn't. This happened with contraception in the 60s and could easily happen with divorce and um, remarriage under Francis. Then we're familiar with that uh, because of the, the different ideas, of course, that were, were floated uh, to approve contraception uh, during the uh, period of time when Paul VI uh, did nothing, in effect, about it. But then um, he's, um, the columnist continues, there's a third uh, perilous scenario. Even if my own assumptions about the nature of the church tend to rule it out, Francis could actually be considering a truly major shift on remarriage and communion in which the annulment requirement is dispensed with and perhaps a temporary penance is substituted. Uh, he goes on to say this wouldn't just promote, uh, provoke conservative grumbling, it would threaten outright schism. The church has famous martyrs to the indissolubility of Christian marriage, and its teaching on divorce and adultery is grounded not just in tradition or natural law, but in the explicit words of Jesus of Nazareth. So he says this means admitting to communion people the church considers to be impermanent adulterous relationships wouldn't just look like a modest development in doctrine. It would look like a major about-face, a doctrinal self-contradiction. Yes, those are powerful words. Yeah. Yeah. These sound like your your confessional annulments in the broom closets of uh, the backs of uh, you know the Novus Order churches uh, all around the country. You know, next uh, somewhere between the brooms and the slop bucket. But uh, I think he's nailed it. He's got it figured out. Mm-hmm. But because what you see is you see what he's he called the late Soviet scenario. You know that the uh, that the uh, communists toward the end of the the days of the Soviet Union. No one really believed the communist doctrine, yet they kept on talking about it as, as uh, if they did to prop up the institution. And I think that's, um, I think that's what we're, um, uh, we're seeing. You see that in, in what Casper says and what some of these other characters say, that, oh, yes, marriage is indissoluble, but they really don't believe that in the practical order themselves. It's something like the platforms of the political parties. None of the candidates ever pay attention to it. They probably never read it, but no. it's there, you know. And uh, so they they keep all of this stuff intact. But uh, they effectively change the doctrine, uh, and because people will remember who am I to judge, they will not remember what the 1992 catechism says. That uh, that you know homosexual activity is a disorder and a you know intrinsic disorder or anything like that. They won't remember that. They'll remember who am I to judge. They'll remember that he called up the woman in Argentina to tell her to go to communion, even though she's committing adultery. Those things get burned in people's consciousness. Uh, and uh, just like what Benedict the Sixteenth did with regard to the use of birth control devices by 
male prostitutes. Um, and, uh, it, you know, well, the obvious conclusion, well, if a male prostitute can use it, well, why can't I? What's the difference? Uh, why does mm-hmm. there have to be an exchange of money, for example, in order to justify the use of a, of a, of a prophylactic? And then, well, then he came out and said a few days later, oh, yes, it's okay for the ladies, too. That, you know, for the female prostitutes, well, then, you know, so in doing that and also doing it in a book and in an interview, I think it was, uh, he has altered in the minds of Catholics a, a, a Catholic moral teaching. He has totally mm-hmm. done away with it because people do not read the, the dusty books. They, they listen to him. You know, he's the Holy Father. The Holy Father says, I can do this. And and uh, this, you know, the same with adultery, the same with sodomy. Uh, that's the way these comments are being taken, and they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, uh, Your Excellency, that's why the Jesuit, that Jesuit evangelist radio had it, it nailed. He said Bergoglio is an excellent uh, communicator, and that uh, um, we know exactly what he means. Yes. And he, yeah. he knows how to use the power. He knows how to use the power of the media. And that people are going to uh, remember these, these uh, uh, little phrases that he utters rather than his um, uh, vague ideas or vague, uh, uh, about, well, I'm, you know, I'm a faithful son of the church, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not going to remember that or what's in the catechism. It's, it's, no. it's these, these um, um, uh, little sayings of his that um, uh, are going to have already changed Catholic thinking. Yes, and splashy media events, too. He knows how to use those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's a master at that. You know, the, the pictures, the, the, all of the various gestures, and, the, uh, you know, the, the birds and the <laughs> all the stuff. Even, the, you know, uh, he, he's a master at that, much more than even JP, too, I think. Yeah. Oh. He knows how to communicate. I figure, I figure it this way. If the op-ed page of the New York Times gets it right, there are plenty of other people who are going to be right behind them. Um, you know, the, the mask is certainly off here. Um, it, th- th- I think the, he's right. That, this, this, let me say this. I think he's right, too, in that this is matter for schism. I mean, we've seen schism going on in the Episcopalian Church and in, the, uh, in uh, various other Protestant churches. Uh, it, and the, even in the, among the Orthodox, this could cause a schism. It really could. And I think if it does, I'm all for it. In the sense that the, the, more the, the, the cause of the schism would be, finally, somebody would say, this is not Roman Catholicism. They would finally wake up and say it, and that we cannot go with this man. That would be music to my ears. Well, the the um, the, uh, the article that um, uh, I quoted in a blog, I think before the last uh, Francis Watch, um, was um, the, uh, a um, there was a statement by someone in the Vatican who uh, said that if Bergoglio, a curial official, who said that Bergoglio approves of this divorce and communion for the divorce and and uh, remarried. Um, uh, if he, he steps over that line, then he will have stepped over the line into heresy, mm-hmm. which is significant, you know, from someone from a uh, someone in the curia. 
Yes, uh, I, I do agree that, that we're getting into some very hardcore things here and that they could cause us. Your Excellency and Father, I mean, he says, says Francis himself says this as much. I mean, we were talking before about uh, uh, an article from, uh, from Religion News that, you know, have, having to do with uh, marriage, uh, with, with the, this hop this issue of marriage, and Casper uh, told the Pope, oh, Father, there'll be a controversy afterwards. And the Pope laughed and told him, that's good. We should have that. Uh, I mean, laughing all the way to schism is what this, mm-hmm. this seems to be. Um, let, let's move away from the divorce and remarriage issues, re- receiving the sacraments in, in, in a state of that sort. Uh, the... the it was brought up briefly before. Married clergy is is something which is, you know, again we've got our we've got our punch card. We need to cover, you know, the divorce or sacraments for for uh, those who are divorced and remarried. Uh, married priests. Uh, we, we what are we learning from Rome now that we didn't already know about what about married priests? How how are I mean, if, if, if we're, we're looking to basically shovel off uh, the remaining uh, uniquely papal authority to uh, bishops' conferences and synods, uh, I mean, this is, seems to be par for the course in dealing with, with decisions governing married clergy. It sounds as though uh, Francis, uh, you know, the tablet uh, in the UK, uh, in a story discussed the, uh, a private audience that was had by a bishop from, uh, from Xingu in Brazil, uh, and uh, the, the Pope discussed with him the, 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 really a potential plan for, and again, I think we, we hear about a potential plan at least once a month, um, a potential plan to have uh, you know, Roman right married clergy. Well, yeah, well, I think it's a certitude that it's coming down the pike. I, I, I don't think it's uh, anybody's, you know, making. Uh, First, you have mar- married clergy, and then you want to have divorced and remarried clergy. I think maybe that's <laughs> the way it'll play out. <clears throat> then we were di- we were discussing too. What about the transgenders? In other words, could you have married transgenders? Uh, because who are we to judge? I think and, we're descending into casuistry here, so <laughs> uh, which we should stay. We should stay out of casuist, casuistry. Well, uh, the uh, he was as a result of these comments. Um, then different bishops started to um, feel free to discuss this possibility of, of uh, uh, married clergy. And, in fact, having been um, invited by Virgolio as a result of, of him communicating his ideas to the Bishop uh, Kreitler, the, the missionary bishop in, in uh, Brazil. And so this is, this is something that's, uh, that's on the table. And then he was, he was asked about this on the uh, plane coming back from, uh, from the Holy Land. And his uh, statement was this, the Catholic Church as married priests in the Eastern Rites. Celibacy is not a dogma of faith. Duh. It is a rule of life that I appreciate a great deal, uh, and I believe it is a gift for the Church. The door is always open, given that it is not a dogma of the faith. So he is he's giving all of those bishops hints about what they should propose. 
Yes, he's given them all of the reasoning, and I think it's a certitude. I think they're up against it with regard to priests, and their hope is that if we open it to married priests, that uh, we'll get more priests. And they might. They might. Uh, a few more. Maybe, you know, one more. But, well, uh, you know, because uh, uh, that's their hope. They're desperate for priests. Desperate. If if you look at the uh, situation in a place like Brazil, uh, where the um, uh, different Protestant uh, charismatic and evangelical bodies are making uh, inroads, uh, you can see why the uh, uh, fact that there are no priests and and that there's no interest in uh, missionaries going to countries like Brazil to um, convert people because everyone's going to have it anyway and and uh, you know even voodoo is is, is a means of salvation used by the holy ghost so you, you can see where they're uh, up against it and i think even bishops who might have been um what we would call hesitant or conservative on the issue before um faced with the the reality of of uh, the huge demographics and no clergy uh would uh, cave in on the idea and actually support it. I can see that happening. Well, this bishop is all for it. Yep. <laughs> the more the merrier. All right. The more the merrier. Maybe, maybe multiple wives. You know. <laughs> well, that's what's, that's what's probably going to happen after the next conclave. The National right. Catholic Reporter does does a take on this as well, and and, and it, it mentions the Anglican clergy. I, I I remember uh, living in the Boston area, and it was in what they called an Anglican use parish, which basically meant that you had um, someone who had been, uh, you know, falsely ordained uh, by some sort of um, someone prancing around in a Episcopal garb, uh, who decided, well, you know what, I, it's pretty much the same thing anyway. He decides that he's going to convert to Catholicism. He's married. Uh, and, and I guess in a, in a country like like England, where you have this sort of hierarchical structure and clerics who are married, um, you know what the, the uh, National Catholic Reporter points out that you know well look we've got all these Anglican clerics who want to come over we're we going to let them come over with their wives now they make this Anglican use I mean what's next really are you going to let anybody in you're going to have a Mohammedan come in with you know with three different wives and, and he's suddenly going to be allowed to become a priest as well sure I mean, where does it end. Yes, yeah, so there is. I mean, once you take away the the, the Catholic morality and all the principles of Catholic morality, there, there's really nothing left, and, and all of the gates are open. Well, you can what, commit adultery. It, it it really is. I mean, it's. Uh, let, let's move on to to punch the third hole in the card here. Um, it, we, we've touched on marriage. We've touched on clerical celibacy. Um, we we wouldn't have our. Um, our trifecta if we didn't deal with, uh, with, with artificial birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wh- wh- where are we? I mean, there's, when, when we're talking about the, you know, a document like Humanavita, which ostensibly has this, 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 uh, this tr- traditional caste to it, uh, now in the hands of people who have no traditional caste, it's not a caste of traditionals, um, how do you think that this is going to, uh, this is, what is the future of humanity? I mean, are we hanging on a precipice here? It never had a presence. 
it's, it's something that's, that's more honored in the breach, as they would say, than, than in the, actually right. in reality. It's something that's uh, <clears throat> spoken about on a theoretical level. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, Your Excellency, it put aside the idea of basically mortal sin, didn't it? Uh, Mani Vitae? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read it in a long, long time. But, I mean, they, nobody took it seriously. And it was that same approach of, well, you, you, know, you do what's possible. And in the confessional or in, in counseling, uh, it, it just took a back seat. I mean, nobody thought of it as immoral if you really need to do it. I remember Bishop Sheen saying that in 1968, soon to be canonized Bishop Sheen. Uh, he said, I heard him say it on television in an interview, that uh, if somebody came to him with a very hard case of, of you know, the necessity to practice birth control, and he somebody described the case, you know, very difficult case, and that, you know, that this woman is taking the pill, what would you tell that woman to do? And he said, I would tell her to continue with the birth control. So, you know, he said that on television. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, the whole thing has been a joke since 1968. There's been no observance of the church's teaching concerning birth control, not even Paul VI's teaching. So, I mean, you know, it's really, it's something that fell apart years ago. That whole approach is now just being transferred to sodomy and adultery. Mm-hmm. That's all. You know, it's that pastoral approach. It's just being transferred. But it, that, that collapsed decades ago. Yeah, Bergoglio himself, talking about the, the Humanae Vitae and this, this uh, um, one quote we got from Espresso says that, well, uh, the question here is not that of changing doctrine, but of digging deep and making sure that pastoral care takes into account situations uh, and what is possible for persons to do. Right. So, you know, there's the pastoral thing, like what is possible for persons to do. It's not possible to throw out the contraceptives. Right. You know, the, no, that's no. absolutely impossible to do that. You have to make uh, payments on the boat. Yeah, so... Um, but uh, again, it's the, that that same theme. Uh, what the New York Times columnist talked about, you know, the the uh, theoretical uh, adherence to uh, what everyone knows has been the party line, but then acting in such a way uh, to make it clear that you really don't believe it. Yes, it's it's uh, it's like a broken record. I mean, every time he wants to destroy some moral teaching, he he says the same thing. You know, that well, this is the teaching, but you know, you can only do so much. Tell people that enough times they'll start to believe it. Well, so, sure. Though it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like there's any challenge. I think they already do. <laughs> it's like the candy man, yeah. you know, with his pastoral approach. The we 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 have this this picture of 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 of, of Francis pontificating, so to speak. Um, but there there are images of his attending a a charismatic um, a group a, a gathering of, of something like a, a fifty thousand Catholic charismatics uh, in the Olympic Stadium in Rome. Um, and I, I'm sorry, but I have not been around so many, I mean, it, it sounds like a, like a Benny Hinn crusade, and I don't know that it's any better, but him kneeling on the floor uh, to, uh, to, to, to pray over him, I mean, 
I, I don't... The Holy Ghost, and I realize that there are people who find the Holy Ghost, you know, they think the Holy Ghost is acting uh, when, when the wind changes direction. Um, I think Francis sees the Holy Ghost uh, anywhere anybody else sees it. And the, the absurdity of, of the images of, of him I think, kneeling down and uh, over the side of a, of, of a, of a throne, um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, it almost seems laughable to me. I mean, what, what, are, we, what are we learning about his, uh, his view on, on, on the, sort of the charismatic movement uh, within, within the Catholic Church? I mean, is this where we're all headed? You're waving arms, you know, hand-holding, things like that? No, well, that gives you the, the emotional charge and the emotional experience, which someone like uh, Bergoglio, I guess, would, uh, you know, being a modernist, would say would be a, 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 very, um, uh, a very good thing to have. But it, it would be bad enough if um, he, supposedly the Roman pontiff, um, uh, in effect diminished and degraded the papacy by uh, kneeling down so that lay people uh, could uh, pray over him and the, with this, this uh, sort of crazy um, uh, personalist emotional uh, type of, of, of uh, prayer that, that claims to be the Holy Ghost. It would be bad enough, but I mean the, the statements that he made along with this, saying that it was a, a uh, current of grace uh, in the church and, and for the church, that this was something uh, very desirable. Then uh, on top of it, uh, he can't resist uh, knocking other uh, elements of, of, of Catholic teaching and, uh, and practice. Uh, he says to them, be dispensers of God's grace, not controllers of God's grace. Don't be the Holy Spirit's customs agents. Uh, in other words, the, uh, what he's doing there is he's, he's knocking the idea of rules and of hierarchy and of uh, bureaucracy and telling them that, well, they shouldn't do that, that that's, that's a, a uh, bad thing. So he's taking another shot at uh, the system over which he's, the hierarchical system over which he supposedly is, is presiding and undermining it and undercutting it. Now, the very nature of Pentecostalism uh, is that you have a uh, each soul has a direct contact with God, and therefore, uh, you know, you transcend the hierarchy. Well, why do you need a hierarchy if you're talking to God and you're in communication with God outside of the hierarchy? Then it ruins the priesthood and ruins the whole nature of the Catholic Church. Uh, that's the the danger of it, and even you know, it's it's implicitly heretical. Uh, and um, uh, so that, that's to participate in that and encourage that is obviously implicitly heretical. And also it, it conforms to what he has often said about what the faith is, and that is a, a, an experience of God or, or inside you, uh, whereas the Catholic notion of faith is the ascent of the intellect to the the teachings of revelation proposed as such by the roman catholic church so it is impossible in the catholic sense to even conceive of the virtue of faith without the object of dogma whereas for him it's just a personal experience of god so he fits in 
completely with the Pentecostalists. And when he was the uh, cardinal in uh, in Buenos Aires, he he was uh, very much involved with the Pentecostalists, the Charismatics, definitely. But you know, he knelt down in front of Protestant ministers when he was the uh, Novus Ordo Bishop of Buenos Aires. I mean, you know, this is nothing new for him. And again, he knows how to deal with the media. Yeah, because that's that, that's a powerful image, you know. Uh, one picture is worth a thousand words or ten thousand words in the case of something like that. Yeah, you know that that he is is uh, uh, seeking their uh, uh, their blessing and simultaneously diminishing the idea of the papal office. It's mm-hmm. it's a really uh, 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 quite an image, an excellent way to communicate a vile idea. Yes. I mean, there doesn't seem to be anyone uh, you know, he, for, from whom he keeps a distance. I mean, nobody. He had these interviews uh, back, back in April with um, he, he sort of uh, bantering with believers and non-believers. Um, and and he, <laughs> uh, he gets to a girl in the group uh, who's a non-believer. And I mean, Father, tell me I'm, I'm not... Uh, I don't think I'm being unduly harsh, but this is this is absurd. Eh? He, he associates himself every minute, every moment, every time with absolutely anyone except people who hold the Catholic faith. Yes, and yes. here, here, it's, here have, it's a young girl, a young girl who says she's not a believer. Uh, it's, it's all naturalism, you know, that the brotherhood of man. Uh, you know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and and all that. It, they, it's all naturalism. It's as old as the hills. Uh, and uh, he's a you know he's a modernist. Modernists uh, are the are people who, who do not believe in the supernatural order, and who do not believe in the distinction between supernatural grace and and uh, the the natural order. They 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 don't make any distinction at all. So. Uh, Religion becomes the brotherhood of man. And he's also a socialist and a communist. So, you know, the idea of uh, the, the unity, uh, the solidarity, which is a typical word for them, the solidarity of the human race, uh, humanity, uh, and brotherhood and all, these are very, very strong themes in socialism and communism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's just uh, par for the course for him. Also, he sees the charismatic movement as uh, uh, something of great advantage to ecumenism, because, of course, uh, that uh, got started in modern times in uh, the United States among Protestants uh, in the 19th century. And so, uh, and, and from the beginning after Vatican II of the so-called Catholic charismatic movement, it was involved in uh, in ecumenism, so he sees um, the charismatic movement as also an, uh, a part of the uh, ecumenical picture that he wants to uh, uh, that he wants to cultivate. I mean, he even someone told me that he even had um, one of uh, those prosperity gospel preachers in uh, I think Joel Osteen is his name. Um, in for a tour of the Vatican recently. So I mean, there's, 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 uh, 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 you know, no one who is uh, excluded uh, from his big tent except maybe us Pelagians. Yes. 
Well, I mean, even even his uh, <clears throat> excuse me, his meeting with uh, with the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew. I mean, the, the, now he's so he's for for one person he's you know he's he's playing brotherhood of man, and uh, and and another he's you know he's uh, he's trying to reformulate what, what the petrine what can the petrine ministry do for you? Uh, I think is the <laughs> seems to be the, uh, the the feel I got from from hearing about this. Uh, this unfortunate meeting. Um, in, in terms of, so we've, we've seen the charismatics. I mean, look, if somebody's going to be taken in by um, by emotion, uh, the, 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 the flailing arms certainly certainly will do it. Um, but here we have we have something that, that, that that's different. I mean, it's, it, I mean, do you see there being? I mean, when the ecumenical patriarch starts to seem more Catholic than, you know, the uh, the alleged Roman pontiff, I mean, how does one make sense of this meeting? <laughs> well, the um, commentators said the interesting thing was uh, is how it proceeded. It seemed to um, proceed on a personal level. It personally, they got. Um, uh, uh, they got along very well, and one of the commentators said that, well, uh, two people, these are two people who would have been even more daring, uh, but who are aware that this could not be done due to internal resistance within their respective churches. So he's he's operating again. Bergoglio's operating against uh, again at the uh, level of experience and of emotion that don't don't sweat the dogma. It's uh, you know it's all small stuff, uh, but it's it's the personal experience that we're we're going to go for, and his his statement to the um, uh, patriarch was here. I reiterate the hope already expressed by my predecessors for a continued dialogue with uh, all our brothers and sisters in Christ, aimed at finding a means of exercising the specific ministry of the Bishop of Rome. He's big on that Bishop of Rome business which in fidelity to his mission can be open to a new situation and can be in the present context a service of love and communion acknowledged by all. So, the, the, uh, uh, again, it's the sounding of the Ratzingerian theme that we have of, of uh, one doesn't know what the papacy will uh, be like in uh, the future, but it certainly won't be like what it was in the past. Mm-hmm. And that's his aim. Yes, all of that is code for the the idea that uh, we can change the papacy in such a way as to make it please the Greek Orthodox, so that I'll be the Bishop of Rome and the Patriarch of the West, and everybody will be happy, and you can have your synods and uh, do whatever you please. That's the translation. <sighs> well, the... The the expansiveness of his thought and the, and the, the openness to that type of situation is, it really belies the um, the dictatorship of narrow thought, which you know, Your Excellency <laughs> Father, I think is uh, I hate to be the one to to point it out as a you know as a, a Bergolian sourpuss here, but um, <laughs> you know the, the dictatorship of narrow thought. Uh, <laughs> well, well, to that dictatorship, I say, Sieg Heil. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, the the homily that that Pope Francis gave um, back in April 
uh, it makes it unmistakable that I mean the the closing down I mean, of, of of any ability to uh, to them is I mean this this is this is we're, we're, that ship has set sailed, but uh, I mean in terms of how he expects to die on. Um, with anyone else who uh, believes anything, actually, you know, clings tenaciously to it. Uh, I mean, how do we work through this, this? How do we explain the dictatorship of narrow thought, you know, with respect to, I don't know, Your Excellency and you, Father, um, but uh, not with respect to everybody else in the world who holds some opinion about something? <laughs> well, he's against it. <laughs> he's, uh, uh, the, the, the whole... Um, um, weight of his uh, remarks, as, as we see in the uh, this homily at the beginning of April, and in terms of what he is, what Bergoglio has said before, is he is basically against the idea of um, certitude when it uh, comes to uh, uh, any type of, of uh, religious truth. That you have to constantly have this this dialogue uh, uh, going on. And that if you don't have this, then uh, you uh, are narrow, then you engage in ideology, which he has condemned a number of times. And uh, in this statement, he said you make an idolatry of your own way of thinking. So what happens here is, is this dialogue business, you end up with error and truth. Uh, they're on the same level all the time. And any time that there's a... Uh, what modern philosophy would call a truth claim, that all of these are automatically dismissed as, as, as narrow uh, because the, uh, 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 the certitude seems final. But we should point out here that he has a whole ideology and a whole set of beliefs, and he is is too much of a hypocrite not to see that he is imposing this set of beliefs on Catholics. That's why he's full of bad names and all of these insulting names for people who disagree with his way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is the, the perfect hypocrite. He, he just you know, condemns everybody that doesn't agree with him, that doesn't agree with him that, that, that there should be uh, no certitude. He's the typical skeptic who, who bangs on his fist on the table and says there is no such thing as absolute truth. He's absurd in saying it because it, he's saying it with absolutism, and so and so uh, Bergoglio is doing the same thing, uh, and, and it's particularly noticeable by all of these epithets that he is comes out with. I mean, it's just one after the other. He must sit and think about them. What nasty thing to say about Catholics today? Uh, you know, narrow line of thought. That means you believe something is true, and that it is immutably true, and that that's the whole purpose of the Catholic faith. <laughs> what, what else? And he does not have a narrow line of thought. No, he, no, he does. He, you know, uh, of course he does. That's why he's full of of hatred. I, mean, I have to wonder, Your Excellency and Father, and this is just uh, sort of coming off the page for a moment. I mean, what's what's the what's the point then of the dialogue? I mean, if if, if you're not if you're not uh, if you're not hunting for truth, I mean, is this just let's chat error endlessly? 
mean, what's the end of the dialogue? Well, the point of the dialogue with him is to impose on you the narrow ideology that there really is no truth. Right. That's, in other words, it's, it's sort of a, it's a contradictory, contradictory process. Or to demonstrate to you that certitude really doesn't matter. That um, uh, that uh, uh, and the, that truth evolves and uh, 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 constantly, and you can never say that uh, you've arrived at any sort of uh, uh, religious truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the the new dogma. So everyone has to conform to that dogma. If not, you are, are called names. It's something like the French Revolution, uh, no liberty for those who deny liberty, or uh, uh, for the liberty, fraternity, uh, uh, what is the other one, equality. Equality. Or death. They, they, they neglect to put that on their coinage now. But that was the word during the revolution, the three liberties, liberty, equality, and fraternity, or death. And that's what we have here in this revolution in Rome, and that is that you're, you you know lack of certitude or or openness or all of the other words of the you know, code words that they have for it, uh, or you get your head chopped off. Uh, you you know the guillotine is erected, and if you don't go along with the uh, no absolute truth business then you, you get your head chopped off. And he has been ruthless with the people that disagree with him. Ruthless and crude and cruel. Uh, yes. You, you could almost say that, that the one dogma for them is that there is no dogma. Ulamo, mm-hmm. that means, or death. Yes, or, or death. death. Yes. That's, that's something all of us can uh, perhaps agree on. But then again, they may change. They may change in what they, uh, whether or not they accept death. Um, I mean, well, just as a point, that. just just a point in fact, the the Franciscan friars of the Immaculata who were treated brutally, brutally because they had an attachment to the traditional mass. The the head, the eighty one year old head of that order who was taken out. Uh, who was beheaded, essentially, uh, he wanted to go uh, visit the the grave of his parents and to celebrate Mass on May 1st. And he was refused. I mean, how rotten could you get to refuse to an 81-year-old man that he visit the grave of his parents? I mean, this is, this is, this is incredible. I mean, this is animalistic. It's so it's so vengeful. But that's because they are attached to the old mass, the traditional mass. They didn't do anything else wrong. You know, yet the 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 child abusers, you know, they're they're still functioning. You know, but these people, these people are horrible. These people are the enemies of the church, and you can't even pray a, a, a Hail Mary at your mother's grave. <laughs> we see this, I mean, we see this with the, the appointments that, that, that he made. I mean, he made an appointment recently um, for the Italian Bishops' Conference. I mean, uh, this, this, 
this Bishop Nunzio Galatino, Galantino is, I mean, these, this is someone who is, is, is expressly, um, he's expressly distancing himself from the most, uh, not only from hot button issues that we're talking about, but from, from really some of the most um, abhorrent social ills of, of, our, of our age. Um, but this is the person who, whom he wants to, 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 to appoint. I mean, Father, is, um, how do you make sense of this type of appointment? I mean, is this just, you know, this is, this is someone who speaks my language? Well, he's, he's uh, another figure in the Bergoglio administration, like Casper, uh, like uh, Maradiaga, that he's, he's chosen someone has chosen to float certain proposals and certain uh, ideas that uh, Bergoglio approves of, but that he doesn't necessarily want to uh, give his explicit approval to right away. So he uh, chooses someone like uh, (coughs) Galatino to uh, get his his, uh, uh, program across. And so you can see uh, Galatino fa- famously um, last month knocking uh, uh, pro-life demonstrators um, who uh, who say the rosary, saying that I don't identify with expressionless the expressionless person who stands outside the abortion clinic reciting the rosary. So th- that is uh, that's um, uh, Bergoglio s- s- speaks through Galantino. So these are the ideas that he wishes to communicate, and we're getting the message. We're getting the message of uh, what he wants, and the uh, those in the um, post-Vatican II ranks are, are getting it. Certainly, the the modernists and and are rejoicing, and certainly the secular world is getting it because uh, they uh, they understand that um, they understand exactly what he is. Uh, uh, what he's criticizing, and re- they rejoice. And to complete Galantino's message, he says, I don't identify with those who are re- reciting the rosaries in front of abortion clinics, but he says, but with, that means he identifies with young people who are still against this practice, meaning abortion, but are instead fighting for quality of life, their health, their right to work. Those that translation, good socialists and communists who are uh, concerned with redistribution of the wealth and and all of those other things, making it into a socialist paradise. And, you know, the obvious question is, well, what about the aborted babies who have no life uh, of which there is equality, or have no health because they're dead, or have no right to work because they're dead? Isn't that... Shouldn't we bring that up? Isn't that a question? Is, you know, that, that shouldn't we fight for their ability to live, to have health, and to work? You know, so th- this is really getting, again, very hardcore, that we should abandon the, the church's uh, condemnation and fight against abortion. I mean, what a, a noble thing to do, to, to say the rosary in, in front of an abortion clinic in order to to protest that practice uh and, and now he takes the rug out from under them uh, an expressionless person uh i mean as if they're some sort of zombies i mean what again this insult 
to people who have any kind of religion, have any kind of dogma, who would say that abortion is wrong and I should do something about it. But instead, you know, praising the young people who, who fight essentially for socialist principles. That's the translation of that. You know, Your Excellency, I, I think that's kind of a closed way of thinking that's really not open to dialogue. <laughs> um, we should... <laughs> Um, now, uh, just out of curiosity, Pope Francis, um, back in the beginning of June, enunciated three groups of people um, who call themselves Catholics but are not Catholic. Now, I'm going to ask one of these of you to, to unpack this because, uh, as with so much, uh, this is uh, I, this goes this may go beyond my my uh, secret decoder ring, but I, I'm curious uh, are. Are we uniformists, alternativists, or businessists? <laughs> or, or jargon bankers, I think. <laughs> that's that's the fourth group. Um, I think we're trying to put that Holy Ghost in a cage. I think that's what. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, well, the idea is, is his main target is um, uh, obviously the uniformists, by which he means um, the, the, uh, people who uh, see that, um, uh, you know, again, who believe in some sort of fixed truth, right, and, and don't believe in this, this uh, evolving uh, uh, type of religion that... Uh, uh, that he envisions people who who attack uh, who uh, operate according to fixed principles of of of, of, of belief and of, of moral action. So that's uh, that's the target. The alternativist. He uh, in the original statement he took a, a, a little shot at people who put uh, uh, offered say uh, alternatives to church teaching, and then he has this this idea of, of uh, people in the church being into business and uh, in corruption, that, that people are only in the church for business. But obviously the real target uh, are the uniformists, and that is uh, what, uh, that's the group he's going after, uh, those who believe that everyone in the church, he said, should be just like them. They're rigid, they don't have the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives, and they confuse what Jesus preached with their own doctrine of uniformity. Jesus never wanted the church to be so rigid. They call themselves Catholics, but their rigid attitude distances them from the church. And well, let's this quote Mark 16 <laughs> here. And Mark 16, uh, baptizing okay. them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And those who do not believe shall be condemned. All right, I think a famous person said that. Sounds kind of rigid. rigid. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty rigid. Yeah. Um, uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, those who do not believe shall be condemned. Uh, now, what sort of a stupid statement is it to say Jesus never wanted the church to be so rigid? And St. John, the apostle, who is the apostle of charity, said we should not even greet heretics so he must have been really rigid i mean he oh yeah no. super rigid <laughs> he was the one that ran out of the uh, church uh, because there was a heretic in it 
Yes, that's right. That's Saint right. Polycarp, uh, who was a disciple of Saint John, recalls yes. that that he did not want to be within the same walls uh, as a heretic because he was afraid that the church would collapse. Uh, uh, he was probably uh, putting it, putting the Holy Ghost in a cage, though. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I if you read Saint John concerning you know the church's attitude toward heresy, it, it is very, very strong and very rigid. Uh, and St. Paul as well. If an angel from heaven should come you know, and preach a gospel, or I, let him be anathema. I mean, we didn't make up these things. I mean, all he has to do is open up sacred scripture. He probably doesn't even know what it is. But you know, <laughs> these are really stupid, stupid statements that he's making. I mean, in, in addition to, to being bold, he is extremely stupid, this man. You know, to, to make these statements is ridiculous. Sometimes people take a, um, uh, a declaration sh- uh, such as that, Your Excellency, is saying that it's, it's simply being insulting. But it's actually it's factual. Y- you yeah. can tell from the way the man speaks and the, the statements that he makes that he is a, uh, from uh, when it, ter- it comes to intellectual things, he is a dim bulb. Uh. He's a clever operator in terms of um, uh, uh, communicating uh, you know his modernist program, but he's a total dim bulb when it comes to any intellectual ideas. Obviously, he's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, no, he doesn't. I but, mean, the fathers of the church with regard to heresy, some of the like Saint uh, Ephraim of Syria, some of the things that he said about heretics, or Saint John Chrysostom. You know, where where is he getting this non-rigid Catholicism that he would like to make? I mean, he's totally out of touch with, with the church's past and, and with its already defined dogmas. He wants to make a new religion, and the sooner that people understand that, the better. This is, this is the whole point of, of this radio program, is to tell people this man is making a new religion. It is not Roman Catholicism. And they have only to look up the, the previous definitions of the church and read the fathers of the church and read previous popes and councils. They'll find out that it's a whole different religion from what Bergoglio is trying to give us. Let's, let's just pause there for a moment. And, and for those of you who are just joining us, uh, you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network brought to you by Novus Order Watch. I'm your guest host, Jeffrey Guncher. Justin Soder will be back next time. I'm joined kindly by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Tricotta. And so far we've been continuing to plumb the depths of uh, the revolution Francis has, has foisted. And we're sort of moving into, into an area of, 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 of not so much what uh, aren't so much strange actions. These are just, these are, uh, the thinking behind these actions is just utterly bizarre. I mean, uh, there was a, a, an article in the Observatory Romano which dealt with now you know your excellence. I've seen I've seen pictures of, of you vested in full pontificals for for uh, for ordinations uh, and for other sem- uh, for other uh, for other ritual purposes. And um, I have to ask you. I mean, when 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 you see a pastor, a priest, or a bishop walk along the streets dressed majestically, I mean, what business do you have of, of dressing so finely for what it is you happen to be doing at that time? Um, <laughs> I mean, gold? Gold? For what purpose? Um, 
Well, first of all, I would like to know what priest is dressing majestically. All the Novus Ordo <laughs> priests that I know look like slobs, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and they are very recognizable as Novus Ordo priests because they're like slobs. I mean, they, they, nothing matches and nothing, you know, it's, it's all, they, it, everything is just, just junk on them. It's like somebody threw a, a, a barrel of rags over them. And and you know, there's the where is this this being, this majestically dressed priest? No, I was you know? I was thinking of just this thing, Your Excellency. A National Catholic Reporter had a, a report on a meeting of what they call Vatican II aged priests uh, that uh, took took place somewhere. I forget exactly where, but it, there there are a couple of hundred of them. And uh, I had just read Bergoglio's. Uh, denunciation of majestically dressed priests and thought the same thing. You know, I mean, who is he talking about? Certainly it's not like a unicorn. Yeah. It, it doesn't exist. Where does he see these majestically dressed priests? And, and <laughs> it's just absurd. They've all abandoned their clerical garb. Unless, uh, unless maybe he means this. Unless he's, uh, in his, his, his sort of pea-brained way, he's talking about vestments. He's talking about liturgical vestments um, that uh, were, uh, let's say, popularized under Benedict the Sixteenth. The nice of liturgical vestments. No, no, because he says, no? "quote a pastor, a priest, a bishop along the streets, dressed oh, okay. majestically." <laughs> Where are they? I mean, the bishops are in their 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 uh, their black cassock with the purple. You know, buttons and their sash. You know, that's that's the uniform. That that's what they're given. It's like the uh, it's the handout. Yeah. And and priests are in a suit usually. I mean, if you're talking about Rome, they're in a suit and, and a shirt uh, with a phony collar. And you know, that's all you see in Rome. Well, you know, where does he see these people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the worst, quote-unquote, the worst you could see is maybe a priest with a black sash on. Okay. Is <laughs> it's that very flashy. Is majestic? Very flashy. Or, you know, what is he wearing? You know? Uh, he's got, I, you know. I saw pictures of the, the, the ecumenical patriarch's outfit that he, he, he wears, and I, I have to wonder, I mean, uh, I, I wonder what the reaction would have been if if, uh, if Bergoglio had made the comment uh, at the at the time of this 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 meeting in the Holy Land, um, you know, I mean, this this like, well, you're you're quite majestically uh, dressed, ecumenical patriarch. Uh, I don't know that I can continue this conversation. Of course, then he falls into his star. <laughs> I mean, this is there's the your own doctrine of uniformity, and then he is, he also has his own doctrine of uniforms, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the Anglican it's, bishops. It's, Anglican bishops wear purple on the street. That's yeah. the only cassock they have. Is a purple cassock. You know what? About, they're condemned too. They're real majestic. Yeah, everybody's condemned, and he wears that. That you can see his his old black pants underneath the see-through cassock. He he looks like you know just it's just awful. Awful, awful yeah. is the word. You know, he doesn't have the common sense to put on a pair of white pants under that. And and uh, then he's got. The, that gut that is hanging out over his uh, his his sash and all. I mean, he, he looks awful. So I guess yeah, they could at least buy him a pair of white dockers, you know. <laughs> and, and, 
<laughs> I, I mean, I'm all for poverty and everything, but <laughs> that he has gained. I saw in an article that he has gained 20 pounds since he's been elected. Huh. So there goes. Remember when he just got in? He, he complained about people wasting food. Well, yes. we figured that he's eating all the food that has gone to waste, <laughs> or else he's imitating John the Twenty Third, Saint John the Twenty Third. That's what that's what he's doing. The but he, you know, was, he was full of criticism for people who are eating too much. I think it's gas. Oh, gosh, I mean, it's just like a poison mouth. It's you know, every time it's just full of criticism and insult for everybody, except these radical liberals that he that he idolizes. Ugh. Talk about the idolatry of ideas. He's the one that bows down before the ideas of all of his liberal, radical favorites. Mm. That's what he does. Well, these these are are strange people that I would I would I'm sure would find entertaining to meet on the street, uh, especially when they appeared in majestically dressed. Um, you know, perhaps I'd see a you know, there'd be a bishop wearing a mitre at a at a at some some small restaurant out on a. a well, the next time Rome, I go to Rome, he'll have something to complain about. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Bishop Sanborn makes a promise. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about something even more bizarre. And I said that we were going to sort of be pinning the needle here earlier in the show. Um, we, we now have, since we, we, it's clear that there's, there's limited intelligent life in Rome, um, apparently there's been significant thought <laughs> given to... To, to Martians. Um, now, again, the Holy Spirit is, is always moving people uh, in, in, in Francis's world, and uh, it has moved him from uh, the absurd to the just plain weird. And, uh, you know, well, let's talk sacramental theology for, for a moment, Your Excellency. Um, the idea of baptizing a Martian, let's, let's forget about the story for a moment. Let's just talk sacramental theology. Uh, I mean, I, I, if you can get through the, the, the laughter that I'm sure it will cause, uh, explain to us how, how one would, you know, what, what, what the situation would be if someone came to you and said, well, you know, I, I don't have any children of my own, but um, I, I was out in the field one night with lights in the sky, and I have this small Martian to be baptized. Would you mind? Yes, well, it depends on the size of their heads. Uh, they, they might <laughs> not be able to fit into into the, the usual baptismal fonts that we have. So I, I think that would be the biggest problem, that the water would splash all over the place and, and uh, you know, and, you know other, other problems. Maybe they have a few eyes that we don't know about that, you know, might get into, into the problem, too. But uh, <laughs> we're getting into casuistry here, Joshua. <laughs> and, oh... <laughs> Uh, what His Excellency is trying to do is, is uh, to come up with a conclusion that's not rigid. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. We, we want to be open about this. And uh, no, that well, the the another uh, very uh, stupid way of saying that uh, anybody that comes to the doors of the church should be baptized, and this is not true. This is contrary to the very nature of baptism which requires a number of things. One, that we profess the Catholic faith, and also that we have contrition for sin and the purpose of amendment, that we intend not to commit the sins again that we have committed in the past. And the, the, and uh, if it's a case of a baby, the Church has to 
have uh, reasonable assurance that the baby will be raised in the Catholic faith. The baby cannot make his own profession of faith, so the people that bring him to the church must be responsible for the faith of the child. That's why you have sponsors, and that's why you have Catholic parents. And that's why the Church would never baptize in the case where there was any serious doubt about the future of the child, that the child would be raised Catholic. That's the practice of the Catholic Church. It's perfectly in conformity with the sacrament of baptism. Uh, the first question in baptism is, what dost thou ask of the Church of God? And the answer is faith. So you know, the first thing is the faith. So you know, to say, well, we're going to baptize Martians, that means... The translation, we're going to baptize anybody that comes near us. Now, don't forget that the, you know, put this in the context of what was said before about marriages that we did not cover uh, earlier, that the reason why there's so many invalid marriages is because these people are baptized pagans. Mm -hmm. Now, notice the difference. Here, it, uh, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, the church is baptized too freely, and these people have not been instructed. So therefore, their marriages are invalid. But then when it comes to you know, who we're going to baptize, oh, anybody that comes near us, including Martians, we're going to pour water over. The, you know, the, the, notice how they, they, they go back and forth on the same issue. I mean, if anything, the yes, the, 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 if you're baptizing pagans, if that's, you know, if that's a true criticism, well, then the, there should be greater catechesis and a greater insistence that the parents know their faith and that they bring up the child as Catholic. Uh, uh, you know, so you know, they, they, you can, you, we've caught them in, in, a, in, a, in a contradiction here. Um, so, but this is, again, you know, this dogmaless church where anything goes. That's why, you, you know, lesbians can bring their, their, their quote-unquote children to the cathedral in Cordoba, and get it baptized, are these lesbians going to teach their children the catechism that, that uh, homosexual activity is a mortal sin? Is, is, will that, they learn that at their quote-unquote mother's knee? Uh, of course not. They're going to be told that it's perfectly legitimate and, and that this is all okay and who are we to judge? That's that's uh, that's what this means, you know. Who am I to close doors? That that you know that that's the it's the same thing. Who am I to judge? It, it's all open and free. Um, it's, that, it, that's operates, it operates. It uh, operates on the level of sentiment, and the the idea that uh, not on any sort of objective principle, but on the sentiment of sort of general niceness that you have to be nice uh, all the time as the world perceives that and never refuse anyone anything. And that's, the, um, uh, that's part of the motivating factor here, too, that uh, we want to make everything really inclusive. A dogmaless, generic Christianity. Mm -hmm. So the doors are open, except to uniformists and all of those other narrow-minded people and, and uh, you know, people with cages for the Holy Ghost and all. Yeah, but... Let's pause there for just a moment. I want to remind our listeners that uh, we're shortly going to be going over our two-hour live feed. Uh, just so you know, the show will continue to be recorded. As soon as the show has ended, it will be posted to the site uh, where you can finish uh, listening to this episode of Francis Watch. 
Um, you know, Your Excellency and Father, we, we, there are a lot of fingers that, that are pointing at Francis's, you know, here he is, the, the Marxist, here he is, the communist. This is, this is red gospel as far as I'm concerned. Um, the, the, there was an interview back in the beginning of April, uh, and, and as soon as I hear an interview with Belgian young people, I have to think to myself, well, you know, who really set this up? Um, the, the Francis basically dodges, uh, he, he dodges the communist bullet here, at least he tries. Um, you know, Father, Your Excellency, in terms, of, in terms of this interaction, what are we to glean of, of, of his, his relentless obsession with the poor? I don't say that to be mean to the poor, but in terms of his uh, his take on on, on being called a communist, uh, and then dodging uh, and twisting his way around to to make it seem as though no 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 I'm not the communist. This is this is what our Lord would do. I mean, how, what what do we what do we glean from this this, this interaction with these Belgian young people? Well, it's the same old thing. Uh, he, he hasn't obviously read the gospel, or at least it's so it appears, or he's distorting it purposely. Uh, all of the uh, Marxist uh, theologians have done the same thing, uh, that uh, that the uh, Christ came to alleviate the, you know, his prime purpose was to alleviate the conditions of the poor, and that he was a good socialist and communist, and he was for the redistribution of the wealth, and uh, the state control of the economy and, and all of those things. I mean, this is just old hat. This goes back to the 60s, you know. Uh, so there's nothing new here. He is a communist. I mean, just from statements that he has made in his past, he is a communist. He, he is for all of those principles. And um, so, uh, you know, for him to deny it is, is just nonsense. Our Lord was sensitive to the sufferings of the poor, certainly, uh, but everything in in the Holy Gospel is done for a supernatural motive. You could give all of your your money uh, to to the poor, but if you don't do it for a supernatural motive, it doesn't do anything for you uh, in the order of salvation. It's a good act, but it's only a natural act. And the the uh, the obsession with alleviation uh, of the sufferings of the poor for natural reasons, others to make a, a paradise and a socialist paradise on earth, is something totally alien from the gospel. The, 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 the gospel is for eternal salvation. It's not for making a paradise here, a worker's paradise here. What, what then do we make of, uh, of the tweet of, uh, of Francis from, from back at the, towards the end of, end of April, when he when he tweeted uh, that uh, inequality is the root of social evil, <laughs> did he indeed uh, listen, tweet but, that? <laughs> I'm reading iniquitas radix malorum. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. The um, interesting thing is that since we read ecclesiastical Latin all the time, iniquity um, uh, is normally uh, used in the sense of, of 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 sin, but apparently the classical meaning is uh, inequality, and it was, was correctly translated. I went, I uh, looked it up in the Oxford Dictionary right away, and sure enough. Mm, so, uh, in, in fact, the, I thought at first it was being mistranslated, but then yes. when you see what the classical sense is, um, from that, of course, you can see how it came to connote sin. 
uh, yes, because yes. something is out of line. So, but yes. um, no, that's what he said: iniquity or uh, that inequality, which uh, is quite shocking. Yes, uh, is the root of social evil, and that's not true. Uh, inequality is something that is part of the health of any society, and a necessary aspect of any society that there should be inequality, there should be an aristocracy, both a, a, a social aristocracy, a cultural aristocracy, and, and a, an economic aristocracy. Uh, and there should be people on the lower end, there should be people in the middle, and all of those things. Uh, and uh, that, that has, has always been the health of society. To, to make everyone uh, equal is absurd. And, you know, these people, haven't we seen the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe be ruined economically and socially uh, during their period under communism. Haven't we already done this? I mean, have these people toured these places and seen the, the, the absolute misery that people lived in under communism? What are we... You know, and is Argentina, is socialist Argentina, is that sort of the paradigm of, of how to live today? You know, the, the, I mean, the, the, everywhere, or Cuba, socialist, communist Cuba, is that the paradigm where they're driving around in, in 1950s automobiles? Is that, is that what we're supposed to aspire to and from the point of view of, of uh, equality, everybody's equal? It's absurd that everyone should be equal. It's absolutely absurd, and it has never been a natural state of man. But you know, again, he, he's, he's, it's like it's like the, the the communism never took place in Russia and in Eastern Europe. It is as if uh, you know South America is doing just wonderfully under its socialist regimes. It's miserable. Let's face it, it's miserable because it is socialism. And the sooner they get out of socialism, the better they will be. Look at look at socialist France and and all of those those places where you know they're they're going bankrupt and all because governments cannot keep up with all of the payments they have to make. Look at this country; it's almost bankrupt because of socialism. It, it's an enemy of the people. Socialism. But you're still living. Go ahead. At, at least at least they all have the same nothing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. It's uh, you know uh, it, it was so shocking for me to visit Eastern Europe and Russia and see the the ravages of socialism. You know, a real state socialism. Uh, I, I just was in shock uh, as I, I saw one thing after another and compared it to the pre-socialist world that was obviously there too. Uh, the uh, just ravages. That's the only way I could put it economic and social ravages. Uh, and, and this is what this man is trying to give us? Yeah. I mean, he's not living like a socialist. He gained 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you know? the, the, it's, uh, he, what he needs to do is he needs to walk more to the peripheries that he keeps on talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
Your Excellency, Father, I, I think this would be a, a good point to, to take our, our leave. Uh, before we go, though, I just wanted to find out, uh, Your Excellency, give us some, some news from the seminary. I mean, there, there are those who, uh, who hear about the seminary on the radio network who uh, perhaps uh, get third or fourth hand a seminary newsletter, which, incidentally, uh, the bishop is happy to send to any listeners who, uh, for a donation of $150, uh, or more, he's very happy to to put you on the seminary newsletter mailing list. But I've been told he would be uh, he would graciously accept um, even half of that amount, uh, and would still provide you with uh, with a newsletter. Um, you can you can forward your donations to Most Holy Trinity Seminary, 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida 34602. Um, it sounds like you're redistributing welfare. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, I, I want to make sure that His Excellency is, uh, is, is magnificently attired on the streets of Rome the next time he goes there. So, um, But uh, is there any from the seminary you can report to us, Your Excellency? Gross, well, unfortunately, perhaps? seminaries are dull places, and they should be. You know, what happens here is that they, the bell rings, we all get up in the morning, we go and do the morning routine, which is you know, the uh, office and meditation and mass, and then we have class, and then we eat, and then we're back in the chapel or the classroom, and, and then we go to bed. <laughs> so that's, that's news from the seminary. But that's the way it should be. Uh, there's, yeah, we're, we're, uh, I'm tonsuring uh, somebody tomorrow morning. Uh, that's their first step toward the priesthood. Um, and uh, it's a French young man, um, and um, we have uh, presently eight seminarians. One is leaving us, Father Incomaki is leaving us for, uh, uh, for Cincinnati, and he'll be going in and out of Nigeria from there. And uh, then we are expecting four new ones next year. So, you know, we're, we're uh, for our numbers... Uh, it, that would give us uh, about 12, I think. The the uh, you know I wish it were 120, but the for our numbers, that is for the parishes that we are committed to, that's about right. Uh, from the parishes that we're drawing from and the parishes that we're committed to, that's about right. If we had 120, for example, we couldn't support them. Uh, it would be impossible. Nor could we use them. See, so you know, it, I'm basically satisfied with what we have, and uh, it's it's good. I mean, maybe in time we'll grow, but um, uh, and it's a good group of young men. Uh, I think uh, you know, I have confidence in them, and uh, everything's going well. Uh, but it's not very exciting here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Um, your, Your Excellency, the, uh, the seminary website is uh, www.mostholytrinityseminary.org. I know you've posted some of your sermons. Uh, there are uh, old newsletters available uh, online, uh, old as in vintage wine as opposed to uh, you know, yesterday's <laughs> newspaper. And uh, I, I encourage our listeners to, to, to take a gander. The, His Excellency has done quite a bit to uh, present a, a webpage that is, uh, uh, is, is expansive and actually interesting, and you can even um, sign up for his, his tweets. Uh, Father Chicada, give us some news from uh, St. Gertrude the Great for SGG sources. Uh, is, there, is there anything that you, you think the, the listeners would, would care to hear about? Well, we're, uh, we, uh, 
wound down our uh, liturgical year um, with a um, uh, celebration of Corpus Christi Sunday, and uh, we had the St. John's Day celebration, and we had a bonfire on St. John's Day and a barbecue and uh, some songs and, and um uh, some entertainment. One of the priests here is, is rather a character, and he does foreign accents rather well, so he did a um, sort of uh, dramatic reading. So that was uh, somewhat interesting and fun. Um, the four uh, projects for the summer, now that we've just um, uh, completed what we're supposed to do, we'll be planning for the next choir season. Uh, we have a, a very good choir here, and, uh, in fact, we uh, printed their uh, repertory. They learned, I think, 12 new pieces, including a new Mass in the, uh, over the past season. So I will be preparing for that, uh, writing some blogs, no doubt, during the summer, and um, uh, as well uh, uh, now trying to uh, organize uh, uh, financing another um, edition of Work of Human Hands. And we're nearly sold out of that. We have a number of uh, uh, we get a number of requests uh, every week for that. Um, so that's uh, something that uh, something that uh, uh, definitely I'm I'm looking forward to. And the other uh, most interesting and encouraging thing is uh, we get an increasing amount of correspondence from uh, people who. Uh, are coming to the conclusion that our take on the situation in the church uh, is uh, accurate and that the state of Acanthus position really makes sense when they uh, look at the reality of uh, Bergoglio and what he's up to. So I find that very encouraging. I get a couple of emails to that effect uh, every week. So I have to say that, uh, you know, I think now more than ever, uh, it's a, uh, a time where we're getting the message out with our apostolate, and we're grateful to that, uh, to God for that, and we thank uh, the people at Restoration Radio for their help there as well. Well, Father, your website www.sggresources.org. Uh, That's I'd like it. To, uh, I'd like to thank both of you for for joining me again tonight. Once again, we'd also like to thank our show sponsor, Nova Soto Watch. Uh, for, both, for support, both financial and material, in bringing this show to you, uh, please be sure to visit their website, www.novusordowatch.org. And if you're so inclined, you can keep up to date on the very latest happenings from the modernist Vatican and, sadly, Bergoglio's latest buffoonery. I'd also like to uh, let you know that if you have any questions for us or for show guests, you can always reach out to us at francis.watch at truerestoration.org. Uh, Justin Soder will be returning next show. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate. E even if it's small, it counts. Uh, to those of you who have donated, we wish you a heartfelt thanks for your kindness and your generosity. And remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is to pray for us. Uh, please think of having a Mass said uh, for the radio network, for the hosts, for the guests. Uh, say a rosary or even simply uh, pray an Ave for our work the next time 
you happen to have a free moment. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in the same form, in some format whatsoever, we'd love to hear from you. So please be in touch. For the I'm Joshua Gunter. May God bless you.